All right, I am going to try not to shiver the entire time I'm up here with cold coffee, of course. Um, we are in a new month, which means a new series. And our new series for the month is called Cancel Culture. How many of you are familiar with the term cancel culture? How many of you have strong feelings about the term cancel culture? <laughs> um, if, if you are familiar with it, you likely have like a context with, within which you are familiar with it. And um, when, when I thought up the idea for this series months ago, I knew that I'd, I might be biting off more than I could chew that I might be getting myself into some hot water, that I might be making my job more difficult than it needed to be. But I was, I was uh, insistent that I wanted to do it, and the more that I talked to other people, the more they were like, oh, I want to um, hear you talk about that. Some of them were pastors because they wanted to hear me talk about it because they didn't want to talk about it. Um, so what we're going to do as, as we start today and as we start this series is do a little defining of terms. And that's going to begin with the term cancel culture. Uh, so the term cancel culture, um, you know, sometimes terms or words, uh, it can be a little difficult to, to place where they originally came from. But the term cancel culture, as we understand it, it seems like it first started to be used in around 2014 with the rise of the uh, Black Lives Matter movement. Um, the Black Lives Matter movement, along with these other protest movements for uh, racial justice, um, started out of this insistence that 50 years after the civil rights movement, not a whole lot had actually changed. That uh, the change that they were hoping for really hadn't been initiated within the parameters of like law and, um, and government and uh, the, the racial justice which they sought to achieve hadn't come through those normal channels of power. And so uh, this was an opportunity for them to use different means um, to, to try to initiate some of that change and maybe initiate some of the consequences that they saw for um, in, improper or unjust activity. And so what, what the people who started using cancel culture, as they termed it, um, what they started doing is using an age-old trick, which is turning your back. Uh, one sociology professor uh, says that uh, when power failed, um, you can always stop paying attention. Um, and and in, in, the, uh, in, in the world of social media, Attention can be uh, manipulated pretty easily. Everybody has a voice. Everybody has an opportunity to, uh, to draw attention to themselves, draw attention to somebody else, or to capture attention and pull it away from somebody else. And so cancel culture became uh, something that I'm going to define as, I wrote down my definition, the popular attempt to create accountability for people who escaped consequences by normal means. So when the, the government doesn't hold somebody accountable, when the law doesn't hold a, somebody accountable, um, a, the attention economy and social media uh, leading the attention economy can maybe uh, provide the consequences that, that people or institutions actually happen. Can someone or something be uncanceled? 
if someone or something can be uncanceled, how does that process happen? The, the questions that we're going to be taking up over this cor- the course of this series are, what do we keep? What do we need to let go of? And then the third, which I think is really important, is what can be renewed? What can we keep? What do we need to let go of? And what can be renewed? So those are the questions that we're going to be taking up during the course of this series. And what we're going to be doing in order to get at that is we're going to be looking at the story of the early church, the very first followers of Jesus, who were trying to figure out in, in wake of um, the, the guy who they followed, who, who founded their, their faith, leaving, what now do we do? What do we keep from, from where we've been and, and what we were before? What do we let go of and what can be renewed? And all of that started at Pentecost. Katie talked about Pentecost just a little bit ago. Pentecost is sometimes known as the birthday of the church. Not the church like the Grove Church, the church as a whole. Pentecost is this strange story that happens about 50 days after Jesus uh, leaves his disciples. He had, he, had raised from the, he had been raised from the dead. He, um, he spent some time with them after being raised from the dead, getting them ready for his departure. And then all of a sudden, one day, he ascends to heaven somehow, miraculously. It's, it's kind of weird when you think about it. But his, his followers are left literally looking up at the sky and asking each other, well, what do we do now? And just a few days later, this Pentecost event happens where um, the, the story goes that a wind moved in, that uh, there were something like tongues of fire that rested on each of his followers, and then suddenly they received the Holy Spirit. They could speak in different languages. They, they received these abilities that they didn't have before, and it's like, it's really strange when you talk about the details of how it happened, but the result was that They went out, there were 12 of them at that point, they went out and started telling people about what had happened to them and what they had learned through Jesus, and suddenly their numbers multiply exponentially. Uh, From one day to the next, one week to the next, they go from 12 people to hundreds of people to thousands of people. Just exponential growth. And what happens when you you reach exponential growth? Those of you who are in business might know you have an issue of scale. How on earth do you keep doing what you're doing when you have 12 people when suddenly you have thousands? How on earth could these followers of Jesus continue doing what they're doing, maintain their their calling and their uh, ethical considerations when suddenly all of the logistics are different because there's thousands of people instead of 12? Well, initially they, they did this pretty successfully because when, when issues would come up, they'd, they'd gather their leaders. They'd do it often very publicly. They'd try to get as many voices in as, as possible, say, we need to sit down and sort through this. They'd do that deliberation, and then they would, uh, having done all that de- deliberation, come out and say, all right, well, now here's what we do. Now's, uh, now we know where we go from here. But after some time, that changes. After some time, uh, the, the approach, the, the priority became growth over everything else. Growth in number and growth in power rather than focusing on their calling and uh, r- remaining ethical. And, and so what we see as, as things move forward is that uh, with that exponential growth, 
things change really quickly at the very heart of what the, the church is. Um, we've learned a lot about exponential growth over the last few years with uh, the virus, haven't we? Some nervous giggles. Boo, COVID, boo. Um, viruses are dangerous because they have exponential growth. Um, one of the things that we've also unfortunately learned about viruses is that they can mutate. And they might maintain the same name as the thing that they mutated from, but that mutation can lead to something very different, something uh, that spreads faster but might be much more potent than the thing that they replaced. And, and suddenly the, the mutation, the variant, it has the same name, but it's almost unrecognizable to the thing that it started as. And so from, uh, from that Pentecost point going forward, there's exponential growth in the church, but there's mutations that lead to variants that lead to the point where I'm guessing Jesus and his, his closest, earliest followers would look at the thing that the church became and would say that is unrecognizable to us. Um, this was one of those difficult weeks where I wasn't fully sure what I was going to say because the stuff that I might have to say was pretty difficult. W one of the things that I did at the beginning of the week was I made a list of all of the really bad things that the church has done for which it might deserve cancellation. It was a pretty long list, folks. Um, so I'm only going to touch on a handful of things. These are some really big things but I want to acknowledge that they are not all of the things. It's an exhausting list, but it's not exhaustive. These are also the really high level things, and it does not include the lower level things that happen to individual people every single day, for which maybe we might consider that the church could be canceled. So, all right, here's my list. We've got Pentecost, but then 300 years later, the Roman Empire decides we should, uh, we should make an agreement with Christianity to become our official religion. And the Christians decide that's a really good idea because they are tired of being killed by the empire. But the empire decides it's a really good idea because the Christian church is growing exponentially and this is an opportunity for them to get credence from the church. And so... The two become one. The church becomes part of the empire. And so when it comes to things like war, they don't need to worry about the pacifist Christian saying you shouldn't be in war because we follow this Jesus guy. They say, here is the theological reason why we should participate in war. Uh, the, the Roman Empire, or the Roman Emperor Constantine starts putting on all of their shields and their flags the Greek letters chi rho, which is an X and an R, which stands for Christ. On every one of, of their pieces of armor, the chi rho goes, and the emperor says, by this sign I will conquer. The church and the empire, 300 years in, become one. Not great, folks few hundred years later, the empire is in a really tough position. Um, there, there's other stuff going on. There's other powers that come on the scene. And they decide they're going to go on this thing 
called the Crusades. Who's familiar with the Crusades? And how do they get power and legitimacy to go on the Crusades? The argument from the church is, we are on a holy mission to do this. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people are killed in the name of Jesus because the church says it's the way to go. Not great, folks. A few hundred years later, um, the, the empire becomes empires. Uh, imperial powers decide that they're going to start traveling the world and colonizing different parts of the world. And the way that they legitimate, legitimize the, the conquering of those worlds is they say, God has given us this duty to go and bring this to other people, to other places, to discover new worlds. Yeah, there might be people there, but uh, in, in the United States, for instance, uh, the church develops this idea of manifest destiny. It is God's plan for us to conquer this land and to kill all the people who are there who won't convert. Not great, folks. By the way, in the settling of that land, it's not going to be easy work, and so they decide they're going to ship in human beings from the continent of Africa to do much of that work, and they're going to argue that it is God's plan for those people to do this. And that those people who are doing the work should, should feel blessed that they have the opportunity to do this. Not great, folks. A few hundred years later, we have this thing that starts happening uh, in, in Germany. It becomes apparent that millions of people are being systematically killed. And the church has an opportunity to say, listen, if we do nothing else, we can stand up to this, Right? And yet most of the church in Germany and the world remained silent. In fact, there was a story that just came out this last week that the Pope and Hitler had a back channel to be able to agree, I'm not going to say anything bad about you if you don't say anything bad about me. Not great, folks. Fast forward to our time now. Think of all of the scandals throughout all of the different church denominations. I've got to be careful here. I'm just going to leave it at that. I could call out individual denominations, individual megachurches, individual megachurch pastors throughout our country where there has been serious accusations proven with evidence of, of um, all sorts of unethical, illegal behavior that has mostly been swept under the rug and it, that has been allowed or promoted because of the church. Not great, folks. 2,000 years history, again, this is the big stuff, not some of the smaller stuff or some of the individual wrongs that have been done. This is not including the uh, exclusion and uh, vilification of LGBTQ folks or of, of many women, too. And so, given all of that evidence, which is really hard to look away from, irrefutable, the question, which I'll throw out to you, is should we cancel the church? Yes. Goodbye, Evan. Um, maybe? Maybe? Anybody want to? You don't actually have to chime in on this one. The, like, like, this is the thing. Public accountability for those who have escaped consequences in the past, right? Um, 
But, but again, that leads to some really difficult questions for us to grapple with about what can we keep, what needs to go, and what can be renewed. And here's the deal. You are all here. Give yourselves a hand. <laughs> you are all here, which means you still see value in this thing. There's people who are joining us online. You have tuned in on Facebook or YouTube or whatever. You're either watching it live or you're coming back and watching it later in the work week. You see value in this thing. There's people who listen to the podcast over the course of the week. You still see value in this thing to the point where you have to seek this out. And so something seems to be redeemable here. So what are the things we can keep? What are the things we need to let go of? And what are the things that can be renewed? There are very obvious pieces of the church that need to be let go of. And one of those is the, the chasing after growth of number and power at all costs. We got to let that go, folks. But there's really good stuff too, right? There's really good stuff that has brought you here, has meant people watching online, that's meant people tuning in during the week. Community, building meaningful relationships, the experience of healing, wholeness, and beauty in your lives, contributing to something that's bigger than yourself. Good things for kids. These are things that we can hang on to, that we can even renew as well. There is a, a passage from uh, Matthew chapter 7, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of Jesus' biggest, most important uh, messages that he gives where he's, he's giving his clothing, but inwardly are voracious wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Grapes are not gathered from thorns or figs from thistles, are they? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad trees bear bad fruit. A good tree is not able to bear bad fruit, nor a bad tree to bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will recognize them by their fruit. Jesus is not averse to cancel culture. If there is a bad tree with bad fruit, it's as good as firewood. But he also acknowledges that there are good trees, and there is good fruit that is out there. There are things that ought to and need to be kept that can be renewed that might even, this sounds familiar, grow goodness. So, may we acknowledge the bad that's been done by us, by us. May we commit to doing better May we take the tangible steps to do better in ways that grow goodness in ourselves and in our world. May that be a lesson for us as a church, for the church as a whole, and for us as a world. May that be so.